welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome back, adventurers. We're on episode 24 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. My name is Patrick. And King Scott here. And we come to you every other Thursday, but occasionally we throw in a side quest like we did one week ago today. We looked at Beyond the Rift. If you haven't checked that out, it's a Beyond the Rift. It's an adventure card game based in the Perdition's Mouth, Abyssal Rift, that old dungeon crawler based in that world. It's live on Kickstarter. I think it's got like six days to go, Scott. It really does look like an amazing game, one that I, I definitely have to jump on there uh, if I can to back that. Thumbs up to those guys for putting together it's such a great game. Also, thinking about Kickstarters and how much time is left, one of the games that we talked about last episode, Top Pop, has eight days left. So definitely go out there, back that game. It's, I mean, it's at a price you can't beat. And for the game that goes with it in the scenarios, you can't beat it. I mean, it, it's great to have those kind of games, those small kind of games to pull out that you can draw anybody in and has a great presence on the table. So definitely check out Top Pop as well. Yeah, that was a hit up at the last meetup. We've got another meetup coming up. Uh, two yes, days, we... I think. For, yeah, two days from the time this episode releases. We'll be at the Vault in Greensburg. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, come play some games with us. Yes, definitely. Uh, I know I'm going to be a little bit late there. I'm going to be tardy, but uh, it's for a good reason. Hey, 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 it's for a good reason. <laughs> Don't go throwing that unacceptable around. But uh, you know I'll I be there Friends later on. Friends of the show filling in. Yes, we do. We got Cool Matt coming out to help out. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be pretty gonna help awesome. Us out too. And there's going to be more people there. They're going to be helping out, have other games going on. Get a couple games in with other people. It'll be an awesome night. Scott, I got us official Level Up Board Game Podcast polo shirts so we can look the part. Oh, And God. hats. I got us hats with the embroidery, not just a screen printing. They're embroidered. It, what, it, that means wrong? we have responsibility <laughs> now. We have to be responsible hosts. Uh, that's on the vault. That's not on us. Okay. No, it's okay. kind of cool. I sent in the information. I gave them the shield with Wilford in the middle. They sent me back a proof. And then before I know it, it only took like a week. Boom. We've got shirts. We've got hats. I got a few extras as well. Speaking of Wilford, listeners, join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Get your Wilford badge. We're given 10 geek gold, so you can just go buy the badge, display it, so that you are a listener of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Yes, and no matter what I may say, and no matter what we may wear, we may look like responsible human beings, but still, we will be silly at times, so there's some way to take that out of me, even if you dress me up. Scott, we've got a big episode today. We're going to talk recent adventures, as we always do. Our review game is going to be unmatched, but we got the Deadpool expansion to talk about, too. We're going to have a discussion topic all about hype. What gets us hyped up for a game, and what happens when it lets you down? Finally, we're going to wrap things off with an adventure on the horizon. We're talking a game that you can late pledge to right now, Space Kraken. Stick around for the whole episode. We've got a lot coming at you. First, let's talk recent adventures. Do you want to kick it off, Scott? Okay, yes. Recently, I got a chance to play. This is a game based on what I consider an American treasure. That American treasure is Bob Ross. 
you cannot tell me that Bob Ross is not one of the greatest people that helped us through the year that was 2020. People Didn't he got die on. By then? What's that? When did Bob Ross die? He didn't help us through 2020. He was oh, dead. Oh, no, 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 no. You got to remember the joy of Netflix and streaming platforms where you can stream ah. episode after episode of Bob Ross. Bob Ross is amazing. I could go on forever. But I, I heard somewhere th- that he raises squirrels. Well, raises. He used to raise squirrels like feet, like like his I yard was a so. squirrel sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah, he would always, right. he would, a lot of episodes, he'd have things with squirrels and feeding squirrels. Good guy, good guy. Okay, so Bob Ross is cool. I can't imagine this game is good. I'll leave it to you. Sell me on this, because I saw that at Target like a year or two ago, and I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. All right, all The floor right. is yours. All right. So, I got a chance to play Bob Ross Art of Chill Game. Yeah, I, I mean... Seriously, you look at that, you think Bob Ross, yeah, this is going to be crummy. This was designed by Prospera Hall, and it was published by Big G Creative, and it came out in 2017. So, in the game, you want to paint with Bob Ross. You need to be chill. You need to be able to take what Bob Ross throws at you. So, in the game, each player starts with three art supplies cards. Now, these could be paintbrushes. Uh, his little paint knives. It could be colors of paint. With each card showing one of seven paints and one of four tools. Take one of the large double-sided painting cards. They have really, really nice cards that come out with Bob Ross paintings on it. You put it up on an easel, and that's the painting that you're going to paint. Now, the player takes three actions. The actions include drawing an art supplies card, discarding two matching cards to claim the matching technique on the card, Because on the picture, you have certain areas you need to paint. You may need to paint a happy little tree or a little cabin in the woods or a majestic mountain in the background. So you have all these type of things here that you need to to paint. Or you can sweep the art supplies card row because you have a card row of different things you can select. Or you can place a paint on your palette, wash half their palette, clear the, the cards off your palette, or complete a section of the painting, as I said. To take the latter action, the player needs to have all the paint needed for one of the paintings. So you may need the thallow blue, white, and a black. I don't know what thallow is, but thallow blue is always used on everything. You use those, you say, I'm going to paint that part of the Majestic Mountains. You take those off, you move your marker up a little bit, that you're getting a little bit closer, Whenever you paint something, you get a number of points equal to the number of paints you had to use and the tool that you used. Now, there is a die that you roll at the beginning of your turn. Whenever you roll the die, there's sometimes that you get a little Bob Ross. So whenever Bob Ross comes up, you need to move this little Bob Ross meeple up on the bottom of the easel. Bob Ross is racing you to get his picture done before you get your picture done. So you have to hurry up and get those paints out there as quick as possible. But whenever you get one of these chill cards, you have to draw a chill card whenever you roll Bob Ross. Bob Ross chill cards will be things like, do not move Bob forward. He's just chilling. So it's all these little things that will give you like extra actions, extra little things here to help you out in the game. You cannot play this game and not smile. It is just a fun little game. 
Yeah, it's at Target. Yes, it has Bob Ross and all his. Oh, there's big good Afro stuff glory. at Target. I wasn't ripping that. No, no. I, well, normally you think of like a game like this with an IP like Bob Ross on it. You think uh, there's not going to be much to it. There's not much to it, but it's just a fun experience while you're playing it. This is something we could get Chris to play too. I, I guarantee she will enjoy it. All right, I got questions. Okay, question away. How long does the game take? Game will play in maybe about 30 minutes. Doesn't take too long. Scale of one to five, like BGG for complexity. One being it's tic-tac-toe and five being it's, I don't know, campaign for North Africa. Where does this fall? Oh, I would say it'd probably be about a 1.75 or a two. Okay, so we're talking light. Does this feel like any other games that you own? Um, I mean, it has a lot of things here with, as far as the set collection goes, uh, things that you're trying to build up. So it does kind of have a feel of Ticket to Ride to it. So you do kind of But there's have no routes in this. No, like, there's, there's no, no routes. routes and blocking or any. No, but, no. But it's a set collector. Exactly. So that's the main thing there. You're just trying to get things done before Bob Ross does. And then there's extra little bonus points you can get for finishing things before he does. But really, overall, it's a very simple, very inviting game to play how much do your decisions matter when you're playing is this a luck heavy game oftentimes whenever you think of like a a a lower complexity quicker game sometimes it's just a a, not a luck fest but you don't have a whole lot of agency over what you're what you're doing your final outcome in the game is this a strategic game or is this kind of like well you can play as well as you can and still come up short as far as strategy is involved The only strategy really I could see is trying to go after certain parts of the picture that you want to paint first. There is a lot of luck involved with this as far as whenever you flip over the cards and what cards are available, what colors of paint, what tools are available for you. There are a lot of things like that that are luck driven. But if you look at things and you try and paint things quicker than everyone else and figure out something that You can see what everyone else has, what their colors are on their palette. So if Mm -hmm. you see someone going after a certain part of the picture, well, then that's your job there to go to the other one. You don't want to waste your time collecting the same colors as they are. And if they get it done before you, you're stuck with that. You're going to lose a turn having to clean off your palette. So it's better to take a look and try and figure out which way they're going and for you to go after a different part of the painting to finish up. Well, that's Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. I'm glad you went over that game because I can't imagine playing it myself. If it's on the table, I'll give it a try, but I would never have have picked it out. It's a nice palate cleanser. I will say that, definitely. Nice. So do you want me to start with the uh, the simple party game or do you want me to start with the the big grandiose game that's not all that big? Let's go with the simple one because I went with Bob Ross here. Let's go with the simple one here and then we're going to ease into things today. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. Um uh, uh do you have Tourette's or something or um <laughs> Taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. This is uh published by Dolphin Hat Games in 2018 designed by Dave Campbell. This is one that we get to play at the meetup. I had a chance to play with my old buddy Jason, his wife and and that newer couple that had just moved into the Pittsburgh area. They they had this with them and they were like, "You want to learn this?" Was, yeah, sure, why not. So this is a simple, quick playing card game. There's a deck of cards, and in there, the, the the stack, there are cards that say taco and cards that say cat, goat, cheese, and pizza, as you might imagine. So you give everybody the same number of cards. So if it's a 50-card deck and you have five players 
Well, I don't even know how to do that math. So you're going to start with one person and you're going to go around the table. So I'm holding my deck of card, my 10 cards in my hand. So is everybody else. And I flip one card up and you always go in sequence. Taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. So when I flip my card in the middle, I'm going to say taco. Then the person on my left puts a card in the middle. Cat. The person next to them puts a card in the middle. Goat and etc. around the table saying taco, cat, goat, cheese, and pizza. Then what will happen is when somebody puts down a card and they say cheese and their card is actually cheese, everybody at the table has got to you know, slap their hand onto the pile. And whoever is the last person to get their hand onto the pile, they have to take that whole stack. Thus the cards in there, you know, their deck of cards in their hand just got bigger. And the goal of the game is to run out of cards first. So you don't want to be the last person to slap, and you also want to make sure that you're staying in sequence with taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. Why do I keep saying it like that? If you ever say the wrong thing, if you're like, taco, cat, uh, 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 pizza, on your turn, you know, no, no, goat was next. You said the wrong thing? Well, we don't even have to slap the middle. You got to take all the cards. If you ever study, if you're going like, uh, study, if you ever stutter, if we're going like, taco, cat, goat, uh, cheese. Oh no, you took too long. You know what I mean? You got to like stay in the rhythm of the game. They put that in there, like keep in the rhythm. That's important because there's a big reaction. Like your reflexes, whenever you see that somebody said cat, when they place their card and it is a cat. Now we were having a blast with this because here's where it gets <laughs> an extra variable. There are some other cards, not just taco, cat, goat, cheese, and pizza. There's oh. also, there's also a gorilla. Which when the gorilla flips down, say that you're up and your word is, you know, you're on cat. So you say cat and you slap your card down and it's a gorilla. Everybody at the table has to beat their chest like King Kong and then put their hand on the stack. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. The narwhal, everybody has to put their hands above their head kind of like in a praying uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. Like a narwhal and wiggle their head around and then slap the stack. And then the last one, I think it was a groundhog. Everybody's got to... Like tap on the table real quick, and then you know, like you're rooting like a groundhog, and then slap it. So, <laughs> oh god, gotta love the people that were playing Dune Imperium like one table over because <laughs> they're trying to concentrate and play the strategic game with the gorilla would come out. We're like, ooh, 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 and slap it at the stack and trying to determine who got there last. You know what? It's not the kind of game that I would ever buy, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I think it's a great way to get some people that you don't know involved in a game where they can be silly. It's kind of like an icebreaker. Like, yeah, I don't know you. We could start playing Carcassonne or something where we're, you know, kind of rubbing our thumb on our chin and making uh, making decisions. Or we can do something where we all have to look kind of ridiculous. And it really did kind of loosen up the table, loosened up the evening. Like, we could go from that to playing something where there's some take that. And I can be like, uh, you know what, uh, Jason, yeah, take that. I can get you. And I might barely know him, but that's okay because we just acted like a groundhog <laughs> for five minutes. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that to the meetup, guys. That was taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza. Now, uh, now I have a question here about this one. Oh. Now, I, I just said problem. like the closure statement. I even said it like we were. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. See, the thing is, I look at that. You, you weren't. You didn't want questions. You didn't want me digging into this and doing an. There's not a lot to dig this. into. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, if you throw it on the gorilla, you throw down the groundhog. You throw it on the narwhal. How long do you have to do the action? Before you can put your hand on. <laughs> if there's an official rule in the rule book, I don't know, but. I do know that, like, if it says gorilla and it's beat your chest and somebody's just like, boop, boop, 
and they don't actually beat the, you know, they just like touch their chest and then put their hand out. I, I think at the table, you can be like, no, 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 no. Because that whole thing about like, did somebody stutter when it was their, their mm-hmm. time? Uh, they have to take the stack. If somebody like, if somebody slaps down their card and they're up for a goat and they slap the card down and they say goat and it's not goat, the card says pizza on it, but somebody else at the table like starts to flinch, like they're about to go slap in it. Well, that's a flinch. You got to take the stack. So you're not even allowed to like fake it like a check swing in baseball. No, that's a strikeout in this. So my guess is it's kind of up to the table. We weren't policing it, nor was there a reason. My guess is that this was a drinking game that one of the developers had in college, and they just decided to monetize it and become up with something here. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I could see this transitioning to that type of game if that's your type of thing. I don't think that this is something that I'm going to break out regularly with with my regular game group. Like if we're meeting up, we want to play something with a a little meat and taters Mm. to it. That said... You know, what did we say a couple episodes ago? Man, well, there were four copies of No Thanks at the meetup. Like, some of those games are just, like, fit the bill for what you want when you're meeting with people mm-hmm. that aren't your game group. Man, this one, this one's a good one. I could see it being great with a family, too. Good, 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 good. So, let me Taco see if I remember cat. them here. Taco, <laughs> car, goat, nope. pizza. You just took the, you just took the deck. Oh, oh, cat. oh well. What's the next game so, you got on the recent adventure list, Scott? I got to play on our Thursday night game night. I got to play Northern Pacific. Now, this mm. came out in 2013, so it's a bit of an older one. It was designed This sounds by... like a Jason game. You don't even have to say any more, and I can tell that Jason broke this one out. No, he did not. No. Ah. No. This was a Bobby like game a that fool. brought it out. So oh, this okay, is all okay. train game. So this was designed by Amabel Holland and published by Rio Grande Games. Northern Pacific is a luck-free railroad building game for three to five players that lasts about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. That's about as much fun as I got out of this game. I got to be oh, honest. No. I, <laughs> I really got to be honest here. So the players start the game with one large investment cube. The whole idea here is that you're investing in upcoming cities where the trains are going to go through. So you start off with one large investment cube and three small investment cubes. The game board shows the United States from Minnesota to Washington up in the the, uh, northwest. On a turn, a player either places one of their cubes in a city that hasn't been reached by the train or builds track. If they build a track, they choose one of the railroad lines exiting the city where the train currently is. There's just one train that goes the whole time across there. There's not multiple trains. Mm -hmm. The track has directional arrows on it, and a new train line can never move against the arrows or back to a city that the railroad has already visited. When the railroad visits a city where the players have placed investment cubes, they get to retrieve those cubes and take additional cubes, so they're getting more money to be able to invest with. When the railroad reaches Seattle, the round ends. Players tally the number of cubes in the hand and records that number on a good investments track. They record the number of their cubes still on the game board on the bad investments. So you have good investments, bad investments, because the train can easily swerve. And if someone's moving the train, they can swerve away from where you have investments. What cities oh, you yeah, have. Strategically, they're not going to run right into where you've got three of your cubes down. Yes. So you can play a single round, but we played three rounds. So we played three rounds. So we added everything up there to get a winner at the end of it. 
there was just something about it I didn't really like. It was such a short game, and it felt like once you started getting into it, the game was over. Yeah, granted, you're going to play another round and another round, but still, it was just constantly. It was like, you're just getting things going. I got a chance here. I got you. Uh, game over. And it was just such a fast, fast game. I'm sorry to say it just did not grab me. The people I played with, they enjoyed it. They had a good time. But for me, it just didn't scratch the itch there. There was too much of take that whenever you put down money in the different cities. There are a couple cities. And then somebody moves the train away from your city. Exactly. That that is the take that card, just deciding Mm -hmm. to move the train in a different direction. Yeah. Northern Pacific... For me, no. For others, I mean, there are people out there that focus on train-based games. So I would definitely give it a try if you are one of those people. But for me, well, it just did not this doesn't sound win. like your traditional train-based, like an 18xx or a route putting. This sounds almost more like a speculation game, like an economics-based speculation. You know, like, okay, I see that it's going to be approaching this Y, uh, this, this fork in the road. So if I put a cube on each side, I'll at mm-hmm. least get one bit. Or I can be the gambler. I see I'm moving up in – well, not even the gambler. I see I'm going to be up in two turns. So it has to go to the, the crossroads, and then I'll put both of my cubes up here. Because on my turn, I can move the train. Like, it sounds like if you pre-plan, you can mitigate a little bit of the the take that and the luck of where other people opt to move the train. You can definitely do that. But like I said, it's just one of those things where it doesn't give you a really fulfilling experience. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I'm Honestly, I'm interested to give this a try. When you say 20 minutes, and it sounds like there's a... a a little bit of skill involved, I would be willing to give this one a whirl. Oddly, you, you say, Bob, Bob for us sort of chill. And I'm like, nah, nah, not interested. And then you're like, Northern Pacific, I didn't like it. And I say, you know what? Let's play that sometime. Yeah. But, uh, but well, yeah, you, Northern Pacific. curious. Northern Pacific from uh, Real Grand Games. So definitely check it out if you like train games or you like speculation games. But for me, hmm. it just did not last long enough to really get a great experience out of it. Well, one great experience that we did have is the next one on my list that you and I got to play together with Jason, and that is Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Yes, yes, that was a great time. This is released by Stronghold Games in 2021, infamously at Target before the backers got it. <laughs> I had to rub it into Jason that I got mine first, but his is definitely prettier. Mm-hmm. Ares Expedition. This has been described by so many as Terraforming Mars Light. Honestly, Scott, I didn't get that vibe uh, so much as I get like Terraforming Mars Race for the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was like Terraforming Mars Beta Edition. Terraforming the Galaxy or Race for the Mars. <laughs> okay, so the theme is the same as Terraforming Mars. The game's just different. Instead of going around the table doing a couple actions per turn, for those of you that are familiar with Terraforming Mars, two actions per turn until the generation's over when everybody's passed. In this one, instead of going around the table... The game provides every player with a deck of phase cards, and everybody's going to pick a card representing a phase. So if you want to do construction, you have a card in your hand that you want to play, or you have a green card in your hand, those ones with the leaf symbols that you want to play, well, then you pick, I don't remember what it was, development or something. If you need income, you pick income. The catch is, suppose, like for example, in our three-player game, I needed income, you needed income, and Jason needed production. Well, we all flip our cards up at the same time, and whatever phases are there are the ones that are going to be resolved. There's another catch, too. Whatever you pick, suppose you pick income. It says on it, okay, there will be an income round, uh, an income phase this round. And if you're the only person that picked this, 
you get an additional four mega credits. So there's some benefit in being the only person that has picked that card. So much like Race for the Galaxy, there's a, a bit of like, okay, I know Scott needs income. I need income too, but I'm not going to play that card because I know that Scott's going to play it. Ooh, but wait, what if Scott is thinking like I do and neither of us play it? And then, oh, geez, we're going to have another turn without income. Uh, it does have that gaminess in there. And I like that. I think that's meaty. It took me a little bit of time to wrap my head around because I was trying to play Terraforming Mars. And mm -hmm. this gives a couple different little tweaks to the game. And it took me a little bit longer to really get that in my head. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So speaking of the tweaks in the game, the board's definitely smaller. I think it has room for nine ocean tiles and that's it. So if you build an ocean, uh, build an ocean, you know what? That, there's your band name, build an ocean. If you build an ocean, <laughs> you just flip one of those tiles. And once they're all flipped, well, then the oceans, that parameter has been met. The forests, if you if you trade in eight, eight leaves and you get a forest, uh, and greenery, I keep calling it a forest. That's just yeah. a token. It's a point token that you get to collect. The game's going to end when all three global parameters have been met, much like base Terraforming Mars, and then the high score wins the game. I love, 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 love Terraforming Mars. I was expecting this to be basically a clone of the game that plays faster. I didn't follow along the Kickstarter. I wasn't sure what was going to be in the box. It's different enough that you can have both in your collection. And frankly, if I'm playing with a whole bunch of people, I'd rather play this. Yeah, this is definitely one of those ones where if you're in for like a big game day and you're going to be playing a whole bunch of games, you would want to play this one other than the main Terraforming Mars. Nothing against that one. That one really fits the bill for a great long game. But this one here lets you get the same feeling, but doesn't take up a third of your day. It might take up an hour of it and give you a chance to play some more games. So yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, if you're doing a game night, 5 to 9, Terraforming Mars can take the game night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, and this what, one definitely an fits hour? that bill. I think so, yeah, yeah. I thought there was a little bit more player interaction, because Terraforming Mars, like, it has some of those cards that have a take that thing, like somebody else loses an energy production, but I don't want to say that they feel tacked on, but they're so sporadic that when anybody ever uses them, it's like, I don't even care who I who I hurt mm -hmm. with this. I get, well, right. you're the one with energy production, so I guess I'll I'll nix it from you. And there aren't enough cards for them to be like, oh, I'll get you back because I'm holding those cards in my hand too. <laughs> no, you're not. There just aren't enough. This one, the player interaction, I think it has some of those take thatty things, but even if it doesn't, I didn't look at every card. Even without it, the player interaction comes in that selecting the phases. It's a gentler, yet more involved, more strategic, I think, player interaction. I, I agree with that, yes. Now, I will have to say that the Tableau is actually a little bit crazier to keep track of than regular Terraforming Mars, because you get those cards going, you need to see everything in the lineup of the cards. It really takes up a lot of space for that. You know, I thought that was a disaster in regular Terraforming. You, you have cards all over the table. Every single player by the end of the game has, has 15 or 20 cards lined up in a way mm -hmm. that they can see what everything does. This does still have a lot of cards laying out. Well, that's Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Scott, I know you had a chance to look over something, so why don't we hit it up before moving on to the review game? You checked out the Spiel des Jahres winners for 2021. I was pleasantly surprised with this. The Spiel du Jar winner, the big winner this year was Micro Macro 
Would Crime is, City. Is yeah, Crime City. That's, that's a poster. It. I know. I've <laughs> seen figure. videos about it, and I'm really chomping at the bit to get a copy of this here. I think it would be great to play with my nieces and nephews to just look at that and like, all right, you're looking for the, the weird-looking person wearing glasses and a hat. Go find them. I just think it's a great way of playing a game. They don't have to get into it, but it's a great thing of like a find Waldo. Oh, Scott, I could get this for Sarah and I could have her look for something that's not even on the poster and be like, all right, Sarah, you're looking for a, a bunny rabbit on a bike with an that's ice cream cone mean. and just walk out of the room. <laughs> that's just no, call mean. me when you find it. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to go upstairs and watch my programs. Runner-ups were Adventures of Robin Hood, Lost Ruins of Arnak, and yeah, another one, Zombie Teens. I haven't heard of that one there, so that one's a new one to me. They have a knack for doing that with the Spiel des Jahres. Yes, yes, they do. Now, the Let's Kenner talk Spiel. Kenner Spiel. Yes. Kenner Spiel. Now, this one makes me a little bit more interested in this game over at uh, SCG. The winner was Paleo. That's a game I've picked up a number of times, looked at it. It has a great presence on the table, a great rack of putting like different stones and numbers on it. Paleo was the big winner in the Kenner Spiel. Runners up, Fantasy Realms. And actually thinking about it, I didn't think Fantasy Realms was that recent. I thought it was a couple of years older than that. And Lost Ruins of Arnak, they're in there again. Yeah, and rightfully so. We talked about that back in episode 11, and I'm telling you what, they got an expansion coming up. They've got the, uh, oh, what do they call it? The Explorers. Help me out here, Scott. What is it? Expedition Leaders? Uh, are yes. Yes, that's coming that's out, the, uh, the expansion for Lost Ruins. So, hey, they're riding that wave right into their next expansion, so good Juiced for them. Up. Yep. And then finally, we have the Kinderspiel. I, I just like saying Kinderspiel. It's just a, a oh, happy word. Kinderspiel. For those that don't know, the Kinderspiel is uh, basically a, a kid-focused game, a game that kids can play and understand. What do we got, Scott? Well, you can tell by the winner that this is definitely the kids' section of the games here. Dragomino. And I actually mm-hmm. said that on my first try, Dragomino. Very good. So that was the big winner there. And the runners-up were Storytailers, Mia London, and The Case of the 625 Scoundrels. That one there, I'm not familiar with, but I definitely want to track that one down just for my nephews. It's a very specific number of scoundrels. It most certainly is. All right, enough with this. We got a big episode, so let's keep things rolling. We've got our review game today, one that you've played a whole bunch and I had never tried until we decided we're going to review it. What are we looking at, Scott? We are looking at both Unmatched and also an expansion for Unmatched. Deadpool. Hey adventurers, it's King Scott here with you. Today we're going to be talking about Unmatched Battle of Legends. This was released in 2019 by Mondo Games and Restoration Games and designed by Rob Davio and Justin D. Jacobson. In Unmatched, it's a highly asymmetrical miniature fighting game for two or four players. Each hero has a unique deck designed to evoke their style of play based upon their history, and it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to play. In order to play this game, you need a board. (laughs) Imagine that. 
a few players, and the characters they want to play. With all the characters they have available at this time, this game can get quite interesting and a lot of fun. Each player places their character on the game board. On the board, there are spots listed 1 through 4. Depending on the number of players, place your miniature there. Next, collect your life counters, sidekick tokens, if any, and your specialized deck of cards for your character. You're all set to begin. In your specialized deck of cards, you have a main character card. On this card, you have the character's name, the type of attack they make, melee or ranged, their movement, life points, and any special actions they can make. Also, this is where you will get the information on your sidekicks. The player board is made up of a number of circles placed all over the board with certain colors on them. This makes knowing whether or not you can attack very simple. If your character is on the same color as your target, you're good. During your turn, you may take two actions. You may take two different actions or the same one twice. The possible actions are maneuver, scheme, or attack. These are also pretty simple. Maneuver, first you draw a card, then you move your character and sidekicks the number of spaces listed or less on your hero's card. You can also boost your movement by one by discarding a card from your hand. The next action you can choose is to scheme. This is done by playing a card from your hand with a lightning bolt on it. These cards will be used to give your fighters a quick boost of health, movement, defense, or to your attack. When attacking, you will take a card with an explosion symbol on it and place it face down in front of you and declare your target. They will then select a card to defend with, symbolized by a shield. You will then compare the totals and whoever has the highest value wins. The target will take the amount of damage listed if they lose. This all will continue until there is only one fighter remaining. Now that you have an idea how the game plays, let's get back to share our 8-bit breakdown on Unmatched. Well, Scott, thank you for the walkthrough and breakdown of Unmatched with the Deadpool expansion. You're a master, sir. You're a wordsmith. <laughs> I try my goodest. I see what you did there. Hey, let's talk 8-bit <laughs> breakdown for Unmatched with the Deadpool expansion, starting with bit number one, the art and components. Art and components. I love what Restoration Games has done with the models for this game. They've left them all gray, but they've done a little bit of a black wash on them. So it makes them look almost like a museum piece. So those all are right, you're really, a miniatures really guy. Wanted to explain if I'm a listener, I have no idea what you mean by a wash. What do they put some bleach or put some soap on it? What do we got going on with a wash? <laughs> you're right. I in and, and trust me, for miniature players, a wash is one of the greatest things that they ever developed. It's a watered-down paint with still a lot of pigment in there. So what you do is you can paint it on very heavy all over the miniature. So if you're painting, say, Iron Man, you put the red on, put the gold on and everything, and then you can paint it over with a red wash. What that will do, the little sections, the little creases in his armor, the dark colors will seep into there, and it will make it look like you did a ton of work when you didn't. 
Like gives so, it shading. Gets in all yes. those nooks and crannies. Oh, Does it get yes. the nooks and the crannies? It or are gets we talking both. just crannies? It mm. gets both. <laughs> so it gets in there in all the deep crevices. Even some that you don't want it to, but they get there. But yeah, so that's a wash. The components, you have a lot of cards. Great artwork on them. And then also with some of the figures, you will have extra little discs that come along with it. King Arthur will have Merlin. And these are nice, heavy little discs that you have. And they will be extra soldiers, if you will, that will go out and fight for you as well. Yeah, a so, little sidekick. Exactly. So the great thing about this is each one of the characters that you play is completely different. I mean, the idea that you could play King Arthur versus Bruce Lee, you got to love this stuff. But the boards are a little bit small. I think I would like the boards to be a little bit bigger, but they are very simple to use and traverse and figure out if you mm -hmm. have a line of sight where I did in the walkthrough, whenever I talked about the circles and the colors in the circles. So it's very, very simple to get what's the line of sight. What were your thoughts on it? Pretty much what you said. Art and components, they, they meet today's standards. The miniature was awesome with that wash on it. I thought the board was kind of boring. You know, it is, it is, it's functional. It has to have function over form. So it has circles with colors on it. And it's okay. Well, it's you know, like little color pies on each of these circles. It's, that's not terribly exciting. I feel like there's a way to do that and draw a little bit more theme out of that board. That said, the production was good. I like that the Deadpool expansion was unique, but that's a little bit more theme and immersion. So let's kick to bit number two, theme and immersion. I think they did a great job with these. Each one of the characters you can play has a little tweak. With Alice, you have a little card where uh, one of the scheme cards that you play will allow you to make Alice grow or make Alice shrink. She hits harder when she's big, and she has better defense when she's small. Bruce Lee is able to run up and move away really quickly with his lightning-fast skills. Deadpool, they knocked it out of the park with the theme here. The whole thing on the back of the box is Deadpool got it the last minute they wanted to put him in the game. Well, he didn't know what to do, so he took whatever he had in his pocket and made the deck of cards out of whatever he had in his pocket. So there will be some things in here, a post-it note with passwords on it. That is one of your defense cards. And it's great because they have things on here, chimichangas and X-Force rules and swordfish. Swordfish, the whole thing, because Hugh Jackman was in swordfish and Deadpool always makes fun of Wolverine. You have a business card of the Hellfire Club. You have an American Express card from Charles Xavier. They really knocked it out of the park with the whole idea and humor of this. Uh, one of them yeah, not is... Not only did they take cards and they gave them this aesthetic as though Deadpool had created them out of things that he just happened to have on him, but what the cards actually do. The Logan card, it's a card that does like two damage, but if you're attacking somebody named Logan, it does seven. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness, that's perfect. And the I'm one, waiting. After you hit somebody with it, you add a name to the card. Like it's almost like a, a hit list. And they had one about if this card is in a sleeve, it hits for weaker. Like they played around with the, you know, they, they broke the fourth wall of the, of the game with it. And I thought, you know what, for a Deadpool expansion, 
that drew out the theme more than anything in the base game did for me. Oh, most definitely. I mean, it's it, it just is so much fun. Like we played Deadpool against Alice, and Alice's sidekick was the Jabberwock. Well, I attacked him with uh, this one card here, and I attacked the Jabberwock. Well, I had to add the Jabberwock to this card. So from now on, I will get a bonus whenever I play against Alice with this card. And the whole thing with Logan is priceless because we have a person at the SCG shop named Logan. So every time I play against him, <laughs> I'm going to get a plus five. It, it, it's they just it really... doesn't matter how good or bad he's doing in that game. You're just going to go smashing at him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, all the other uh, expansions they have with the Bruce Lee, Robin Hood and Bigfoot. Uh, there's Red Riding Hood and Beowulf. Each one of them has a little tweak to really get the feel of what those characters are. And I give them all the credit in the world just having a great time with this. So that's my thought on the theme. I kind of took the uh, stage there. But what are your thoughts on it? Uh, again, much of what you said. I will say I didn't feel any immersion at its core. This is a tactical card driven game with a board to incorporate a spatial aspect. And I played it as much. It was like playing a starter set, like in Magic the Gathering, they had Starter 99, which was basically like a 6th edition, a 7th edition, but even more watered down. Very few cards had abilities. Uh, and this kind of felt like that. Like you could read the cards and be like, okay, this is a shock. This is a lightning bolt. This is a healing salve. Oh, that that's it. And there was, you know, incorporate some movement. So it was very... Very simple, and the board not being overly pretty for me. Again, you know, I, I didn't get immersed into it. At no point did I feel like I was King Arthur or, or that any of the things, the mechanics that I was doing actually drew out uh, a theme and immersion. Now, I will say that you know things like Alice growing and shrinking, that was cool. The Deadpool's deck being funny, being Deadpool-like, that was cool. I had Merlin, and Merlin was the guy that could do the spell casting for me. Everything, like the, the effort was there. It just compared to other games, for me, the theme was great. The immersion, mm, it felt like I was playing a, a watered-down card game with a board. That doesn't mean it's bad. I just mean mm -hmm. as far as theme and immersion goes, it didn't, it didn't suck me in. Let's talk complexity, and I'm going to take the floor on this one because I've given you it twice. Unmatched is simple. The range system is based on the color of this space that you're on, so no problem there. Uh, cards basically have four symbols that you have to learn. Uh, there's a timing element, I guess, on when you want to engage opponent as to when you want to back off. And apparently you don't want to burn through your deck. I think in a multiplayer game, there is a bit more reason to like hold off and let the other two beat themselves up like an attrition thing. Uh, whenever you're playing multiplayer one on one, yeah, burn through your deck. It doesn't matter. Your goal is to kill them. Card advantage wins games. It felt, like I said, complexity felt like a really simple card game that incorporates a board to give a spatial element. I just wish they'd done a little bit more with that board. There's some gameplay around deciding when and how you want to move your sidekick. That was pretty cool. I really want, I wanted a little bit more complexity though. I wanted some public goals or a space with a switch. You know, like, oh, if you land here, you trigger the switch at this gate so now people can go through there. Something to make the, a pit trap. Something to make the board a little bit more interactive instead of just spaces away. I don't know, maybe it's in an expansion that I haven't played. I don't think so. Uh, what do you think on complexity? You're the one that had to learn and teach and everything. It's not a very complex game. No, definitely isn't. 
But where they take away the complexity, I think they really went into building up the characters and making them feel each one of them a little bit different. So mm-hmm. if anything, that's where the complexity goes, getting the feel of how each each of the different characters play against each other. It's a very simple game to get into. It has a great way to draw people in. Oh, you want to have Alice in Wonderland versus Dracula? Let's give it a shot. So it's not a complex game, but that's the beauty of it. It it that's allows you to draw in players that normally wouldn't play a game and show them, hey, this is a great little game to play here. All right. So I'm going to take back the stage now and I'm going to talk about the rule book. The rule book, very simple, very small, few pages. The only thing that I would say that's a little bit different about it is each section is done in a block of different colors. And there's a lot of important information put in those. So it's important you read it from front to back the whole way through. You've got no problems at all. Very, very simple rule book to take on because most of the Mm -hmm. rules are printed right on the cards. Well, then I'll take bit number five, the learning curve. I think I had the game down in one turn. There is some curve in that if you've played a handful of times, you're going to have an idea of what tricks an opponent might have up their sleeve, or if if it's your first game, you might not know those tricks. So like there's maybe a baptism by fire element that way, but it is a simple game. Not like you said to somebody else, this might be a step up from what they're used to, that it is relatively simple, is the draw to the game. For those of you that play heavier games, you're going to be a, you're not going to have to sit down and like play a learning game to understand it. You're going to be able to play a strategically sound game because you know everything's right in front of you and it, it's all elegant. You know the game's simple, but it's good. So let's talk replayability and variability. Well, this is it's got variability built right into it. It's got replayability built right into it with all the expansions that are coming out. You can play any number of things. This takes me back to that old Spike TV show they used to have, Deadliest Warrior, where they have Ninja versus Pirate, or they would have Russian Spetsnaz versus Navy Seals. All these things of these imaginary combinations of who would win if this fought this like and this fought this. the what if battles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now then, they're going to be doing expansions with some Marvel stuff, I believe, coming out soon. I mean, they've got yeah, Deadpool already. Yeah, they got a lot already. of Marvel coming up. So it's expanding so much further from the original game, which was actually put out for Star Wars. It was uh, Jedi duels and it was different Mm -hmm. Jedi you could play. And like, what would happen if Mace Windu fought Yoda? And they took the rules section from that and build this game out of it. So cheers to Restoration Games for coming up with something like this. So simple, easy to get into a lot of variability and a lot of replayability. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, switching the characters, that's going to be the primary way that you're going to change the game from from one play to the next. Uh, I think there's an element, though, of adjusting your game based on what you have to work with in that opening hand. Like I was King Arthur, and it looked like my silver bullet card was Excalibur. And mm-hmm. is it in my opening hand? Is it at the bottom of the deck? You don't know. So there is a little bit of variability based on what you see from your deck. It'd be kind of cool if, man, you know, I was like, it'd be really neat if you had like community objectives or even like a market, uh, something mm. like at the end of your turn, you can draw from this market pile. And these are cards that anybody can have in their deck. Just something to give your deck a, a change from one game to the next. So I can tell you the next time that we play, I don't want to be King Arthur. I don't want to play as King Arthur ever again. Mm-hmm. I want to try the next one and try the next one. And there's four characters in that base box. So I got at least four plays in me. But then I am going to want to look for expansions. 
I think having a terrain expansion would spice this up so much. Something that lets me play around with that board. Give me traps, give me walls, give me towers. Something to add to that map to, to play with the spatial element. You have this spatial Let's be honest, you don't need the map. You could play this without a map and just play a card game. So you have that map to work with. Work with it. All that said, this would add complexity to a game that is approachable. And I think that for some, that ease of play is an upside. There is replayability anyhow. In spite of my, oh, I want this, I want more, more, more. You know, that's the that's the gamer in me. But really, the, the game's got plenty of replayability and variability as is. And I'm telling you what, those expansion characters, they ain't that expensive. It's easy to, to collect three, four, five mm-hmm. of them before you know it. You know, you can start making up little cards, you know, flip them. Okay, you're flip a card, Deadpool, and you are Medusa. You know, you can have a lot of fun with that. Oh, most definitely. Okay, Scott. We have come to bit number seven, the potential downsides of the game. I got mine. Let me hear yours first. All right. So my downfalls on this are very similar to what you've said. It is a very simple game. It could use a little bit more to spice it up somewhat. I think the biggest downfall is for people that are more of a gamer, not overthinking this game. You get into it and you start thinking, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? This is just a game that you're just to go out, beat someone's head in, and win the game. That's it. Beer and pretzels. Exactly. If you're going in with an idea of having a strategic type of experience playing this game, I mean, it's fun. It's more luck that you get into that position where you might say, yeah, that was strategy, but it really wasn't. It's not a very deep game. So I can't really think of anything myself that I would say that I think is a downfall for this game other than that. You know, it's a nice thing with a downside like that is that for some people, that will be the upside. Right. And quite frankly, even even for us from time to time, like we have this meetup coming up at the end of the month. And there's going to be there's going to be a lot of people there and some of which may have never played this game before or are not heavy gamers. And we can say, hey, give this a try. We're not burdened with having a real stressful teach. And they get to play a very fun game. Mm -hmm. Downsides that I identified, uh, I already said a few of them, so I don't want to harp on it, but the game is going to be based on the cards that you have in your hand. Movement did feel a little bit limited, not just in the fact that they don't play with that map a whole lot, but Scott, there were like four different times where if I wanted to get away from someone, I would spend all this movement and get away. They'd just spend their, their, their turn catching up. And it was like, okay, so I'm right back to square one. Same predicament as I was in before. Also, it feels like without expansions, the game does have a little bit of a shelf life. But fortunately, there are expansions. The base box is not expensive. You're not spending $90 for a game that's got a shelf life and you're going to have to go spend more money. Was it fun? Who's it for? Let's get out of that mindset. Let's get into bit number eight. Was it fun? Who's it for? (laughs) I, I think you heard us. Yes, it was fun. I had a blast playing this game. You get a plethora of different characters that you can play with. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's one we didn't talk about. Sherlock Holmes. So many things here. It's just a fun, like you said, beer and pretzels type of game. Or Coke and pretzels. I mean, it depends on who's playing it. So it's a, <laughs> it's a great game. It's a fun game. Very simple to get into. Really, I can't think of anybody that it's not for. Because it's something so easy to get into. And, and it's a nice small time filler it's not going to take up your whole evening or anything you're going to play it for 45 minutes or so and you're going to be done 
you're still going to have a laugh or something like that. I mean, you cannot play this game and not laugh whenever Bruce Lee kicks Dracula in the teeth. I mean, it's just fun, (laughs) silly, stupid stuff. So it's really for just about anybody I could think of. I enjoyed my play. I'm glad that I played it. I don't know that I'm rushing out to buy it, but I'm already wanting to buy an expansion. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need the board. Mm-hmm. You've got the board. I want to go get one of the expansion characters and bring it to SCG next time. I said it's an excellent beer and pretzels game or coffee and pretzels, if that's your thing. I can enjoy it without playing, without putting too much brain power into it or too much of a time sink for that matter. I think our game took 45 minutes, uh, mm-hmm. the first play. And, you know, I, I think most plays would be about the same. Who's it for? This is going to be perfect for a newer group that wants to dip their toes into an arena combat style game. It's an entry-level game that has bit more complexity than some of the more basic gateway games. And for that matter, it's got a lot more theme than a lot of them. Uh, if your group likes a game like King of Tokyo, you know, it's simple. It does have a little bit of take that. I think that they'd get a big kick out of Unmatched. Or a game like Smash Up. It's card driven. There is a little bit of take that. You're competing for certain areas and using the cards in your hand to get there. I think this is a great game that's going to fit into that group perfectly. Well, that's Unmatched with the Deadpool expansion. Get out and get it. All right, Scott, today we're going to be talking about when a game doesn't live up to the hype. This is something that's really tough there because you think about how much money goes into marketing, how much money goes into all these different things to get a game out there, to build this froth, this excitement to get this game and then it comes out and then it's just meh. And it's it's one of the worst <laughs> sounds you can possibly get whenever you're playing. I'll, a game I'll put there. in the prices right horn. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Wow. Yeah, we want to talk about some of the titles that let us down. We put this up on BGG. As as listeners know, we like to be community focused in our discussion. So we try and incorporate listener ideas. So we put this up on BGG and some of the things that we talked about, we want to state some titles that let us down. So feel free, folks, to share what games you felt didn't live up to hype. But more importantly, we want to discuss the reason that this happens. And I would guess that just about every game has those that absolutely love it, as well as those who would identify it as a letdown. So let's talk about why it didn't happen. Some of the questions that I posed were, what game didn't live up to the hype for you? Why do you think that is? What factors built up that hype? What were you expecting? What did you get? And finally, have you done anything that you would suggest to avoid buying another letdown? Scott, before we talk about when this happened to us, because it has happened to us, I figure let's take an opportunity and talk about what some of the responses were from the community. You pecked out a pretty good one from Francis. What did he have to say? What game games didn't live up to the hype for you? They have two of them down here, Morals and Batman Gotham City Chronicles. Oh, that one filled a lot of people in the hype Mm, department. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Thinking about it, I was expecting a different game than what I got. Well, they said for Morals, it was a two-player game. There was fantastic art, theme about mushroom picking, and people saying it's like Jaipur, which they thought was an awesome game. For Batman, the whole river action system seemed really cool. So he's got these ideas of the things that got him all juiced up for the game. He's excited. You know, it happens to all of us. So what was he expecting versus what did he actually get? For morals, they were expecting a bit more interaction and keeping an eye on your opponent. But it was way too multiplayer solitaire for me at the time. 
thinking about it, I wouldn't be surprised to like it now if I ever gave it another try, now that I know what type of game it is. But at the time, I was expecting Jaipur 2, now with mushrooms, and they didn't get that. (laughs) What about for Batman? They said, I was expecting a fun dice-chucking adventure with an interesting action selection mechanism. What they got was a mess of icons and a razor-thin margins for winning as Batman, where if you didn't take the right characters and gear before the scenario, you wouldn't win. And if you didn't get just the right dice rolls, you wouldn't win. Everything that I've seen about Batman Gotham City Chronicles, that is word for word what every complaint is. Unwinnable if you don't have the right characters, razor-thin margins, no time to do anything. I I was expecting a lot more people to, to use that game. So what do you suggest, uh, or what is he doing, to avoid buying another, quote, letdown? Well, experience really helps, and reading the rule book helps too. They've been hyped with many a Kickstarter until they read the rules and decided not to back. And that's something so many times now, you do have access to rule books for games coming out. There's also videos you can take a look at. There is a vast cornucopia of different things you can look at to help you make a decision. How to play games, review videos of games, rule books you can look at. So many things that are out there to help you make a great decision now. You know, for me, whenever I'm looking at a Kickstarter, I just look at the pictures and how many little bits I get. But if I'm clicking on rule book, like if a game looks like, oh, this looks so exciting, so cool, so big. And, you know, I start feeling those juices flowing. I'm like, I'm going to click back. I'll always click the rule book. I won't read it because I ain't got time for that. (laughs) (laughs) What I will do, though, is I'll just scroll down their PDF. Like if it's like you're on page one of 39, I'm like, oh, my God. God. So I'll check like page 14, 15 to see if it's like, okay, here's where the rules actually end. And then they get into scenarios or something. But like, man, if you're getting to pay in the 30s and the 40s, and you're still telling me rules. That's been my like, oh, you know what? I'm getting into what I'm doing to avoid. I wanted to use a response that was given by Carl. Uh, What game didn't live up to the hype for Carl? He says, Discover Lands Unknown. Now, those of you that know of of Lands Unknown, Discover was that game that Fantasy Flight put out. It's like an exploration game, but every single box, every copy of the game has differences. Every copy is unique. And, you know, mine might have these cards, yours might have those cards. There's different land types. In theory, that sounds so cool. He says, I thought I'd be able to buy different versions of the game and expand the replayability. But the issues with the boxes all being different, and then I'd go to buy another copy, and I'd get one that had similarities to the ones that I already had. It was just a bit of a letdown. I think what he's getting at there is like, if you bought a box that had forest and desert as the two different land types, you could buy another box that has those two land types and only have a few cards difference. So I think his letdown was, you know, what I was expecting there to be a much bigger difference from one Mm -hmm. unique copy to the next. That was a big hype machine there that they put that out. And sure, there might be a good game in there somewhere, but trying to get a different game each and every time you played it. I think they did a lot better whenever they did Keyforge, where it was a lower price point. You got a completely different game out of the deck instead of a $60 price point. So it's one of those things there where you can do for the same $60, you could buy five different decks, have five completely different ways of playing instead of Mm -hmm. that one game. Well, what factors built up the hype for Carl? Exploration and expansion. Play through the game and then buy additional games and add to the replayability. 
Carl says, I was expecting a game that I could play and then buy more versions of the same game to play. But when I bought the second version, I got one of the two options that I already had. So again, some disappointment in the similarities between his two copies. So what have you done? What would you suggest to avoid buying another letdown? He says, really look around online for reviews and comments, but don't always listen to the interwebs. Do my own research and see if a game is for me. You know what? That's a biggie, Scott. I I listen to a ton of podcasts and so often, never mind podcasts, so often, especially the YouTube guys, these guys that are on every single Kickstarter with their video talking about how great it is. Like, do you never say anything bad about a game? I think oftentimes the the podcasts that we listen to tend to be long commercials, not critical enough. Like their goal is to sell games and you know what? I just want to take this moment to remind people that you can go to Mondo and shop games and get 10% off <laughs> using promo code level <laughs> with today's review game of Unmatched and the Deadpool expansion. No, he makes a good point though. Don't believe everything that you read about it. If I'm trying if I'm looking to buy a game, Scott, I'll go on BGG and I'll look at the the not the comments that give them a one or a two, because those are just bitter bottoms, but I'll look at the like the fours, the fives, some of those like, okay, they're being critical here, but they're being fair. You know, they're respecting that there's some thought process put put into the making of this game. That's where you get the honest truth. You go to the nines, the tens, every game has their people that say, this is the best thing ever. But that's where you really get some of the, the, the meat, the potatoes. Same thing whenever you go to Amazon to buy something. You take a look at it. Oh, it's five stars. But there are a couple two stars there. You always want to go down there and see if it's just someone poo-pooing on the project or whatever the product is and the box showed up damaged yeah or if it's one of those things that they have a a true complaint about the quality of the product sometimes you don't want to give the oil to the squeaky wheel but sometimes that squeaky wheel can actually help you out whenever you're buying something well, speaking of buying something, I was in Ollie's the other day and I noticed a stack of games. It's a game that it caught my eye because it's like, this doesn't look like an Ollie's game. You know, this looks like they got in some more strategic gamer games. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and this was an old Kickstarter that was a lot of money, has some tech involved. So I couldn't help but look into this game some more. And I ended up passing on it for a lot of the reasons that a listener submitted audio about. So I want to let Nathan tell us about when a game failed to live up to the hype. Hello, Patrick and Scott. This is Nathan from Jeanette, Pennsylvania. I saw your question on Facebook about if we could recall any hyped games that ultimately left us disappointed, and I immediately knew that I had to chime in on this one. The game that immediately came to mind for me is Golem Arcana, which was marketed as a board game with miniatures that is also app-enhanced. Their pitch was to let the app do the math and bring taxing activities like tracking rules so players can focus on the real meat of the game, the action. The miniatures also came pre-painted without any assembly needed, so players are ready to go immediately when they open the box, which I thought was a really, really important selling point. This was the first game that I had kickstarted, and thank goodness I didn't allow it to become my last, because there have been some fantastic games released through crowdfunding projects. This game was created by Harebrained uh, Schemes for 2-8 to eight players with around a 45 or so minute playtime. The price tag on this game was pretty reasonable, I thought, 
with the cost about 60 bucks for the base game and all stretch goals included. When it did release in retail in 2014, it came in about $80 plus tax without any of the stretch goals included. So I thought, so far so good. It also raised about $500,000 through Kickstarter, which is no small amount for especially a smaller team like that. The game featured golems with their own powers, strengths, and weaknesses battling on various boards that featured varied, varied terrain which the app would track while playing one-off missions or even a full-blown campaign. Another feature that was included was a lot of lore to digest, and as someone that eats up lore left and right, I was even more hyped about the game. The price of the app was also great, which was free, and communication from the studio after the Kickstarter was also relatively transparent for the most part, which also led me to believe that nothing was wrong and that I was going to get an enjoyable and easy to learn slash hard to master game with some digital enhancements as well from the app. What I received was an aesthetically pleasing game with limited to no functionality when it came to actually playing it. Golem Arcana ultimately suffered from poor implementation of the app, clumsy stylus that was included with it that was required to play the game, and dropped support of the application not too long after release. So let's start with the positives. The miniatures were and are still nice to look at, but unless you can incorporate them into another game, that's all you'll be doing with them, looking at them. The boards are also decent quality with pretty nice art on them. So again, if you can find a way to fit them into another game, go for it. However, as for actually playing the game itself, it was less than enjoyable to say the least. First, it came with a stylus that was supposed to link with your smart device via Bluetooth. Now this would allow the app to know what you're doing on your turn with the physical pieces on the board and then translate it to the game in the app. So if you wanted to move a golem a couple spaces and then attack an adjacent golem or use one of their powers, you would have to click on the app click on the stylus, drag it across the board, and let up on the stylus wherever you wanted the golem to go. However, because the stylus frequently didn't register the actual movement that you were trying to tell it, or it was just straight up disconnect from the application itself, you couldn't play the game because the stylus was required for any sort of action, any sort of movement. Even if you wanted to do it physically with, you know, your hands, you couldn't get the app to register, so you couldn't attack anything or use any abilities at all. And unfortunately, there was never a permanent solution for the app not registering the stylus. It just worked if it felt like it or didn't if it didn't, which I thought was a huge issue at the time and obviously proved to still be an issue later on. And I will say that the last reason I'll give for the game not living up to at least my hype is the dropping of support of the app. Now, in early 2016, Hairbrain Studios released a final expansion for Golem Arcana, and then later that year they launched a Kickstarter for another tabletop game, Battletech. I did read on some forums that there was talk of moving the app support to either an individual or a very small team to kind of clean up some bugs and keep it afloat, but unfortunately from what I can tell that never happened. For a game to raise over half a million dollars from eager backers only to drop support maybe two years at the most after the official release was really disappointing. I was really hyped 
from the promise of a miniatures game with app enhanced features but what we got were nice miniatures that you really couldn't do anything with other than put them on a shelf and to this day the application is technically still available on android and apple stores but judging by the 1.3 out of 5 stars it has on the apple store i can kind of imagine that others have been bitten by the hype bug as well on golem arcana since backing Golden Arcana, I will say I've been a lot more selective on which games I do back on crowdfunding platforms. Recently, I did back Here to Slay as well as Overboss, and I was very pleasantly surprised by how they both turned out. I've really tried not to let one bad experience ruin it for all the other fantastic game developers and game publishers out there, but sometimes it can be difficult to place trust in them if their pitch looks too good to be true, just like Golem Arcana. Uh, if I had to give you know one piece of advice to anyone looking to back a game through crowdfunding who either hasn't done it or has also kind of been bitten by the hype bug, it would be to set your expectations reasonably low. So if you do get a less than desirable product, you aren't too disappointed. But if it's a great product, then it's a win-win situation. So I just want to say thank you for giving me a couple minutes of your time and the audience's time to get on my soapbox. So I'll get off now and let you talk about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on either Golem Arcana or another game that you felt didn't live up to your hype and expectations and kind of what your thoughts were around why it was disappointing or what was misleading about the game. Thanks, guys, and have a great day. Hey, thanks, Nathan. We really appreciate the audio that you've submitted. Golem Arcana. That's the game that was at Aldi's for, I think it was eight bucks a pop. And it truly is a, if you're buying it, it's for the miniatures. I couldn't believe it. I, I immediately, standing in Aldi's, I go to BGG and it's like, the app was not supported after like a year of being out. Uh, oh my goodness, what a disaster. So many cool concepts. I would have been hyped for that. Oh, so many awesome things going on there with the stylus pen and mm -hmm. you know, opening up the app and you can move. Oh, and it just failed entirely. Not just failed to live up to the hype for Nathan. I think that's one that failed gamers in general. Yeah, definitely. It's been there for a number of years because I know many times whenever I go into all these Gollum Arcana is in there. So it's, it's definitely one <laughs> the of the same stack. Nobody's it, even buying it. <laughs> It very well could be. You don't know for sure. All right. So, Patrick, we've heard what some people on BGG had to say. We've heard what Nathan had to say. What game... Oh, we're both going to go. You're going to give me the floor? Oh, I'm going to give you the floor now. So, what game didn't live up to the hype for you? I picked two. I cheated because there's two. I couldn't pick which one failed me worse. Alter Quest mm. and Journeys in Middle-Earth. Oh. Both good games, both decent games, mind you. What got me hyped about these? For Alter Quest, I was expecting an immersive game with strategic planning. I wanted it to tap into those feelings that I had as a kid sitting around the table playing a game of Hero Quest. Journeys in Middle Earth, much the same thing, but I also I liked Descent 2.0 and the use of the app as the Overlord. I love the Lord of the Rings IP, and I thought this would be a game that I could tell grandiose stories beyond what I heard in the movies in the world of Middle Earth. Was so excited for both of these games. I feel there is a giant butt just hanging up there, <laughs> of waiting for the butts. So what happens yeah, after the butt? But they let me down. And why is that? 
they're both checking against statistics. And I mentioned this about UltraQuest a, a few episodes ago. Some people love that, I'm sure. It's just not for me. It's I, I think why they let me down was that I found out more about who I am as a gamer and checking against stats is not my style of game. They put a good story and they put a good theme into both of these games, but you know, in my mind, they didn't provide any game. You know, now they did. Obviously, they did. But to me, the the rolling against stats and trying to increase my odds by having a higher stat so that my roll has an increased chance of succeeding, I, man, you just can't stretch that out over two hours and make me feel like I, I had a good thinker. In Journeys in Middle Earth, on the other hand, there was very little time to explore. Felt like I was racing against the in-game timer that is the app. Like bad things happen at the end of each round, and they progressively get worse. So like each scenario is gonna get gangbuster, get through some enemies and complete the objectives. If I took time to grab more than like maybe one bit of loot, I was going to lose. And I think I was also looking at the game more analytically. Uh, I was playing Journeys in Middle Earth solo, so I had the time to sit and try to play optimally. So maybe I cheated myself a little bit out of some of the story or some of the camaraderie with other people at the table. Maybe that boosted up. But the story presented by the game just didn't do anything for me, considering that the game didn't make me feel clever. And I just have to have a little grin I'm hiding here whenever you sing about you can't have a two-hour game of fun whenever you're doing that rolling, trying to go against the statistics. And I'm thinking of every miniature player that plays Warhammer looking at you going, no, you're wrong, shaking their fist in the air right now. (laughs) (laughs) But you you have a whole army. You have seven or eight different guys or 70 or 80. You know, you have this this large number of guys and one character rolling against a stat. Let's say that every single one of your guys needs to roll a three or less on a D6. I know I'm watering this down for simplicity's sake. Mm-hmm. If you have 20 guys, statistically, you should come up with roughly 10 hits. And if you only got seven this round, you know, well, next round, you should come up with roughly 10 hits. You know, spanned out over time, you're going to get to the average, but you've got 10 guys. So if I'm going to shoot at your at, at one target, target A, and I miss, and then I shoot again, and I miss, well, then guess what? The third guy's going at him also. In a game like Ultra Quest, it's like, okay, I only have a set number of actions per turn. I am losing an entire third of my turn if this doesn't work. I'm losing a quarter of my life. You know, the implication of this one die roll is much more profound whenever it's a third of your entire turn, as opposed to 3% of your entire turn in a game like Warhammer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I completely understand there with that. It is uh, a tough pill to swallow whenever you say that, whenever you have that much hanging on just that one character in your turn. So it, it is definitely tough. So what factors got my expectations, my juices flowing? I think I was hyped because it had the minis. These games had the art. They have the cool theme. My previous experiences with an app being used in a game were positive. The community, the community was going wild over Journeys in Middle Earth. So I, th- I thought I couldn't miss. And UltraQuest, you know what did it for me for UltraQuest, Scott, was I was seeing all these pictures on Facebook. People were getting their copies of UltraQuest and they're sharing them. They're sharing all their pictures, the excitement. You know what? I was on the outside looking in. I had a little mm-hmm. bit of the FOMO. And you know what? FOMO can cause hype. Yes. Yes, it most certainly can. I completely understand what you're saying about FOMO. With that in mind, what have you done to mitigate the hype and to be sure to get a game that you're happy with? Well, first and foremost, I try and buy used so that like, if I don't like a game, I can resell it and basically get the experience of playing the game for the cost of shipping. You know, almost like I'm renting the game for a little bit. And if I love the game, I just keep it. 
we've become good at playing on BGA and playing on Tabletop Simulator. So Beyond the Sun, uh, what was that, our episode 15 or 16, eh, 16 review? I think so. Whatever it was, Beyond the Sun was fantastic. And I rushed out and bought it because I had played it already. A lot of games give you a Tabletop Simulator mod. I'm telling you, it's fiddly at first to try and play a game on Tabletop Simulator. I keep saying the whole name. It shall henceforth be known as TTS. It's fiddly trying to learn to play a game on TTS for the first four or five games. And then after that, so many of the things that you need to do, like you learn a, a very small number of hotkeys, and you're like a wizard moving things around that table. It saved me a lot of disappointment because I'll play games there and be like, nope, this is not for me. I would have shelled out a hundred bucks on that. Most of all, I think my means of avoiding disappointment is in my own expectations. I'm learning more. Every time I play a new game, I'm learning more about my gaming habits and what I prefer. I've learned which content creators I gel with the most. I think that when something like Lord of the Rings was hyped up, I was picturing like this sprawling experience with music and theme and tough decisions and a branching story. And there were going to be caves within caves and dungeons and dungeons. At the end of the day, it is, it's a board game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's got limitations. Like I, I let my imagination run wild with what this could be because of the excitement that everybody was, was projecting forth with it. But you know what? Had I just read some rules. Had I just watched a couple of playthroughs, I would have been able to identify, oh, you know what? This I can see where people like this. It's not for me. People say that we're in a golden age of games. I think we're in more in a golden age of being able to, how do I want to say, manipulate the, our gaming experience with BGA, with TTS, mm. with selling used games and trading used games and everything. We're in a golden age of that right now, I think. Definitely have so many venues for us to take a look at things before we actually shell out shekels for the game. So it's a great time right now. Well, your highness, King Scott, we're going to turn the tables around and it's going to be on you. Tell us what game didn't live up to the hype for you. Well, first of all, I must tell you that a king is your majesty and not your highness. I think I did this before. Yeah, we, we went over this before. What, what was highness again? Just Jeez. prince and princesses. Come then on, Patrick. Lord lady. Like your lordship? Yeah. Lordship, I ladyship. Can't wait you're gone for this Renaissance Festival. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Answer the question. What game didn't live up to the hype? Twilight Imperium. No, I kid. No! I kid. <laughs> <laughs> you had me. <laughs> no, a oh. game that didn't live up to the hype Ooh. for me. And I'm I'm upset about this because I really wanted to like this game. And that was Red Rising. The mm -hmm. hype that I saw online for it and the look of the game and the idea that it's based on this huge amount of stories and books and everything. It was just like, wow, there's a lot to this. This is going to be awesome. But whenever we got into it and played it, it just seemed like the gameplay was bogged down with the amounts of different characters and the amount of small type on Every single card that you played, it hurt because I really, really wanted to like that game. And it just didn't so do what, it for me. What were you expecting? I think I was expecting something that was a little bit smaller, a little bit more compact with the amount of characters you had. Or more copies of the same characters. Or generic characters, if you will. That you could play and do this and like, okay, here's 
three soldiers of Mars, or here's two alchemists of Jupiter. And it was just like getting all these different characters was just overwhelming in my in my mind. It just was too much. So what kind of factors raised your expectations? What got you amped up for Red Rising? That would be the interwebs. Everything <laughs> at a certain point in time, everything you saw Z. had Red Rising. Red Rising this, Red Rising that. The look of the game. I mean, yes, the game is gorgeous. And those were the things that really drew me into it. And a, a card game there where you're moving things around and taking over control of certain places it checked off all the boxes of games that I, I enjoy, but just felt like it was too much for the sake of being too much. I don't want to say it's a bad game. It's not. But I feel that there's a lot of playtime that has to go into it for you to get to that sweet spot in order to play it, where you have mm -hmm. to play it and get to know what each and every one of the cards are. So it's... There's a lot of legwork to be done before you can get enjoy it. Before you so get a many, nice smooth game going. Yeah. Yeah. So many other games now, you get into it, you may lose hardly the first time you play it, but you get a good feel for what that game is. I just Red didn't Rising didn't do this. that for you, huh? No, no, no. So what have you done to mitigate buying another game that could be a disappointment? I think the biggest thing there is one waiting for someone else that I know to get it. Uh, yeah, gives me a chance yeah. to play it. <laughs> BGA, that's another one. Board Game Arena. So many of those games on there are games that I want to give a try. It's a great way of getting an idea there. Plus, also, YouTube is a big one there for me. I'll go to two, three, four of them and get a feel for how the game plays. That's a big gift that we have right now. I mean, it was not that prolific early on whenever I started playing board games. And now then you've got a vast library of great people out there doing videos and showing you what the games are about. Scott, if I asked you which one of these things is the coolest, what would you say? Your options are a T-Rex on a surfboard, a childhood birthday party at an arcade, Sean Connery, or a flying elbow off the top rope. Well, flying elbow off the top rope could go horribly wrong. The T-Rex on a surfboard, the small arms throw off center of balance. Eh, it, would, it, would, it would be tough there. Well, the birthday party in an arcade is pretty good, but can be pretty expensive. So I got to go with the Sean Connery. Yeah, definitely Sean Connery. I put this poll at the bottom of our topic for discussion just cause. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner was a T-Rex on a surfboard. I digress. Hype gets to all of us. Listeners, when you have the opportunity to check out a game, check out the rule books on Kickstarter. If everybody's sharing about it and everybody's posting about it, that's usually a good sign. But that's usually also a good sign that you need to make sure that the game is for you. Don't let the hype get you. Spread out your time. Look at multiple different areas, YouTubes, podcasts, whatever. Make sure that pretty much checks off the boxes in your mind of what you want out of that game. That's pretty much all the hype that we have to talk about today. <laughs> but I lie. So, Patrick, you're going to talk about a new adventure on the horizon, Space Kraken. Yeah. 
Years ago, mankind created a giant genetically modified kraken intended to cleanse Earth's oceans. At first, it worked well, but during a naval conflict, the kraken was accidentally attacked with a nuclear anti-submarine weapon. In an escalating war against the kraken and between the nations, Earth is rendered uninhabitable. But the kraken was not destroyed, only injured. It mutated, developed unimaginable characteristics, evolved into the disbelief of our remaining scientific community, demonstrated an ability to generate a wormhole through which the kraken escaped Earth. You are aboard one of just a few ships which managed to leave Earth by entering the Kraken's wormhole, which remained stable for a time after the Kraken's departure. Now, aboard a spacefaring vessel, you are reaching for a strange star system never before seen by any human. Your fight for survival has just begun. Okay, there's just something really funny about flying through a Kraken's wormhole. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta get gotta get through the Kraken hole. <laughs> so, Scott, I had the opportunity to play Space Kraken. This is developed by Marcus Geiger, recently successfully funded on Kickstarter. You can late pledge to it now. This is a space themed dungeon crawler done completely using a book. When you start the game, you'll choose your ship, which already gives you some asymmetric play. Each ship's gonna work a little bit differently. There's a crew section in the back of this book for your spaceship and for your crew. And the crew can be like any number of, of different available crews. That you, like you can choose the nerds, the early settlers, the military. And then you actually get to flip the crew pages and select the individuals that you want. So if I want to go with the military, for example, I can go to that portion of the book. And there's two different pages that are going to have these. Like picture your full page that goes to the end of the, the notebook, we'll call it it actually tucks in. It's longer than a full page, but it tucks in these player cards. So you take that portion of the sheet and fold it out so that it's actually wider than the whole book. You snip uh, in between each of the cards. So you've got four cards dangling off the edge of your book. The ones that you aren't using, you just tuck them back in. But the ones that you are using, conveniently, they slide out the edge of the book. Really, really cool. <laughs> Many pages, uh, just like this crew page, have those extensions that fold out so that when you close the book or you flip through, they're your bookmark. It does that for enemies, does that for your ship. You get to allocate some skills and items to your crew and you can just jot it down right, right there on the character. I added tabs through the book. I used a whole crap load of post-it notes. I was like, I'm not going to damage the, the heck out of this thing. It's cool. <laughs> I think the Kickstarter had them. I think the Kickstarter had tabs, but I had to add some to the simplified prototype. Now, this game's a little bit rules heavy. There are a lot of pages of rules, but they're necessary. They explain the storylines and how to work with the book. So when you start the game, you're going to select a flight path. You choose a line and you record it on a line tracker page. And you consult a chart which tells you what's going to happen based on what line you chose to pursue. Now, oftentimes, this gives you an event or an encounter, which will give you the code of where you're going next in the narrative. And you just record that code in the narrative sheet. Locations are going to be generated through a location page where you roll a die and you consult a chart against the difficulty that you're playing at. You record your location and it's atmosphere. So different places that you go are going to have different levels of oxygen. So locations can be various areas of space, dungeons, planets, etc., there are various modifiers based on the atmosphere of those planets and places that you visit. Like if you're in a space station with an ox with oxygen in it, movement's going to be free. If you're outside of it, 
there might not be any oxygen, so you have to spend more, you have to allocate more actions in order to move about. You also roll to determine the maps that you'll be using, as well as teleport depth. This just means the number of maps that you complete when you're visiting a planet in your mission. There's a special modifier for the planetary characteristics and a role to determine the species that inhabits the planet. Beasts, <laughs> greys, insectoids, or even... The yeah. Kraken. <laughs> yes, you got it. The enemies, they're all illustrated pages that provide all of their details. They all fold out just like the crew does. You're going to be consulting this map chart, which basically shows the setup of the planet. Now, in this case, these are small little grids that have colors, letters, and numbers. Nothing flashy in the prototype, and I don't think that it's going to be in the final fleshed-out copy of the game. It's kind of like looking at an Atari screen. It's very function over form. And it's small <laughs> in this book, and that's all that it needs to be. It shows you the layout of your dungeon. So like, okay, you're in this hallway, and it shows you where the doors are to the, the outer portion outside of this space station, for example. It'll have little squares where, okay, here's where an enemy is. Some of the enemies will approach you. Some of them won't. Some of the doors might have special means of opening them and closing them. And it's all on this very small, maybe two inch by two inch map. And you just take your pencil and you just point to where you're going. Okay, I'm going to go over here. You mark off an action. I'm going to go down this way. Okay, we have an enemy. He's one of the greys. So you flip back there and you see how that gray is going to behave. Skills, weapons, achievements, all sections in the back of the book. You can upgrade your character, your crew. Whew. I am not an RPG player, all right? So reading the rules and understanding how to play this took me a day, Scott. I mean, like, mm. literally 9 in the morning till mid-afternoon. I was trying to figure out, okay, how exactly do I play this prototype? So I can't go online and consult videos. It was, okay, I think I'm doing that wrong. Go reread. There is a lot of flipping back and forth in this book. Those that are more familiar with an RPG, they're probably going to have an easier go of it. And the narrative is decent, but you as a player, you have to use your imagination a bit to, to really get the story here. Seeing what I'm looking at on the Kickstarter, it looks like there's a lot of symbols, a lot of record keeping. Does that take up a lot of your time? A bit. I, I don't want to say like, oh, it's there's there's virtually none or anything like that. Like it's there. It's not overwhelming, but there is record keeping. There is rules overhead. Like you're going to see an enemy with a border going around him. So like a, a light blue with a certain letter in it means that that's an enemy that won't pursue you. But if it has a, well, I'm sorry. No, see, I'm already confusing. If it has a border <laughs> going around it, that's an enemy that won't pursue you as long as you don't confront them. But if they don't have a border around their, their little colored box, that means that once you open the room, they're going to go, Hey, and you know, that insectoid's going to come after you. Some of that took a while to sink in. Some of the iconography on the maps combined with, okay, wait, what do my items do? The nice thing is, it's it's all one book. This is a small footprint game. Mm. For me, I was keeping a notepad next to it so I could write down what each of my characters had. Now, I can see it on the tabs, but like, okay, what upgrades have I done? What weapons are they carrying? And what exactly does that do in combat? How does it modify it? Like, to play well, yeah, I had to keep some extra notes. But, I mean, I played it through once after learning the rules completely because I wanted to get this out there as the opportunity to late pledge is live. Now, is this a game that you can play and finish it? Or is it a game that will just continually be going on that you can go back and play it over and over and over? 
uh, they have what's called the CGM, which is the cryptic game master. And that's going to like guide you through the storylines that develop. So a lot of it's going to come down to what flight paths you choose and where the CGM has you going. So if you make one selection early on and it gives you a fork in the road with two different directions that you can go and, and you pick option B, well, that's going to have a different fork in the road. So you're going to have set campaigns. You're going to have uh, set storylines that can go in various very wildly different directions. You can start at the same point. And in one case, you end up in space stations fighting against insectoids. In another path that you choose with different decisions, you could end up engaging the Kraken by the time your story is over. It, it sounds very cool. I mean, it's something that triggers my wanting to get this because it, it looks like it's a lot of fun as far as whenever I'm, I'm talking about playing role-playing games, I've never really played a role-playing game with a bunch of people, and I've done some solo things with different role-playing games, which I find really cool. And this one here, it has a really unique look to it and how you have the, the one book, and that's everything you need, basically. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's totally cool. The, the production is awesome. Even the prototype book, the art in this thing, I posted on Facebook like a month ago because I was blown away. But I will say, what this game is, is an engaging puzzle that's going to task you with using your imagination while taking you on unexpected adventures. You can have an idea of what you're getting into. Uh, you can feel like you're prepared for it, but maybe not because of some of the decisions that you've made in the past. This is not a game where you're going to set have set tasks and expectations that you can math out. There's plenty of strategy here, but, it, but it's loose. You're going to have influence over your decisions, but sometimes you're going to get these unexpected results. And it's like, oh, well, there's, I can't math my way out of this. You know, I, I got to roll some dice. I got to, I got to gamble here. Uh, I, had a, I had a blast with it. Well, that's good. I, I mean, that's great to hear. This is what I find to be a fun Kickstarter. Good way to put it is if you've read one of those create your own adventure books, we talked about them a few episodes ago when I was I was playing mm -hmm. Sword of the Bastard L. It's like one of those on steroids with oh. a lot more decisions to make with a lot more branching patterns that you can go down with a pretty sweet theme. Anything that has a spaceship flying through a Kraken wormhole, that sounds both slightly dirty and kinky and exciting. Did you just say kinky on the show? I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> We went over yes. a lot today. Oh, man. Let's... Yeah, this this was a lot here. How'd you level up, Scott? I'm going to have to go back to our review game, and that was with Unmatched. The level mm. up, I've got to say, it's really more of a thank you to people. Thank you to everyone that listens to us and has gotten us a little more exposure allowed us to the point where we got a discount thing from a game company, which is awesome. And also a thank you to you, Patrick, for allowing me to come along with you on this and all that you've done to record and edit this to make it such a great show. And I'm very, very proud of what you've done and happy to be along for the ride. I'm going to translate this for listeners. Mondo sent us the Deadpool expansion and I gave it to you. Because you're the one that has unmatched. <laughs> Thank so, you, Scott. That whenever Sarah does something polite or she'll say, Daddy, I love you. I say, she'll be like, Dad, you're the best. You know what I tell you? I say, you know what, Sarah? You made my heart happy. Scott, <laughs> you made my heart happy. I'm glad I could do that. So <laughs> that is a kind of a weird level up for me. How did you level up there, Patrick? 
I got a game to the table with my wife. A two-player game, Chrissy, and I got a chance. Yes, I know. It it's rare, but it it happened. Goonies, Never Say Die, had it set up on the table, and she put on a documentary, I think it was called Nickelodeon, The Orange Years, and it was all about like the very early Nickelodeon, like early 90s, and I was like, well, not playing a game tonight, I'm watching Nickelodeon. So then the next night, <laughs> we set it up, and I'm like, okay, so here's how this game works. She's looking at it, she's like, wouldn't this be better? I have to control two characters? I was like, well, yeah, it's one-on-one. She's like, do you actually do anything? I was like, well, I'm kind of like the DM. She's like... I don't know if I want to play this without having more people. And I was like, oh, fine. So I went in the basement and I pulled out Lost Ruins of Arnak. Whoa. <laughs> and I showed her how to play. Yeah. No, and, no, she's she's really good at games. Uh, she actually, she beat me at Lost Ruins too, for that matter. But yeah, she uh, she played it. And I think she liked it. And it was just nice to be able to, uh, to share in the hobby with my wife. That's always a very nice way to end a day. I got nothing. Uh, sign off is on you today. Yeah, so the sign-off, we're just going to say goodnight, everybody. We're tired. We're going to go to bed. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.